Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Welcome back to the Busy Mumsy podcast, my friends. How are you doing, Ash here? Ah, we're already in the middle of January. How the heck did that happen? Well, today I am welcoming Pip Davies onto the Busy Mumsy podcast. Pip is an experienced midwife, hypnobirthing, and antenatal educator, creator of the Midwife Pip podcast, say that five times, and most importantly, a mom. Actually, she's expecting baby number two this year. I'm so excited for her. I'm so excited to meet her. I have a lot of questions just for that new expecting busy mumsy. So this is going to be a goodie for you. So let's dive on into this week's busy mumsy chat. Pip Davies, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I absolutely love being on the other end of the podcasting chair. So thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited. Yay, I'm so excited. I mean, shall I just say midwife Pip? Because that is who you are. That is what you are known as. You are the guru, the absolute go-to midwife in the United Kingdom. Oh, that's very kind of you. It's so strange, isn't it? People always like, oh, it might be kind, but this is the truth, girlfriend. Oh, well, like, do you know what? It's it's so funny, isn't it? It's so funny that kind of social media versus real life. And I think sometimes when you meet people, they forget that you're actually just a human and you're meant to have some like superhuman mothering powers because you're a midwife. And I'm like, I'm just winging it. The same as everybody else, making up as I go. Well, then, Pip, we're going to have to share with the Busy Mumsy listeners. So so Pip was running a little bit behind because her car was stuck behind the bin man. And she was driving along, but she got home and she's here to record. So here we go. You made it. I think that's the beauty of working with women in this space is that somehow we just make it work. Especially mm-hmm. that time difference, right? We're both here. That's a miracle at the same time. Massively, massively. Well, Pip, as I said, you are the go-to, you are the guru as a midwife. I want to ask, because I feel like perhaps you don't get asked this often, what was it like for you, your own journey to motherhood, as you wear that hat to give the recommendations, to give the guidance to so many women that, what about you? Was it hard to take your own lessons, your own care, or was it like uh, a push and pull tug of war kind of thing for you and your motherhood journey? That's such an interesting question. And I think for me, it was really variable actually. So my first pregnancy was during COVID. Um, so I was frontline and I was working full time at that point as a lay board sister. And I really felt for women because they were sort of, you know, it was at that 
do we get vaccinated in pregnancy? Did We didn't know it was safe at that point and everyone felt really uncertain and there I was dealing with people that we knew were COVID positive. And so when people were asking me, I was like, I don't know either. We just don't know enough to be able to say. So I really empathise with women at that time, in, in the time that we were in the pandemic, with how difficult some of those kind of decisions were, because I really was feeling it myself as well. And what I kind of found, I suppose, through my pregnancy was when I was in my uniform at work, I very much didn't ever feel like whatever was happening could be me. I kind of had this, like, I guess, protective shield or barrier. And I was very much in my role, I suppose, as an actor would be, um, very much there as the midwife, the professional doing my job. But then when I came away on maternity leave about 38 weeks, I suddenly started to get all those, oh, but I saw that, oh, but that happened, oh, could that happen to me? And what if this happens to my baby? And it's like the mum brain then was allowed to start kind of creeping in a little bit. Um, and if you were interviewing, Ashley, the midwife that looked after me in labour, she would tell you that I was absolutely a midwife throughout my whole labour, managed the whole thing, delivered my own baby. She wasn't, she wasn't quite sure why you were there, why, why she was there. Yeah, it's so funny. I re, And so actually my, I'm 17 weeks pregnant with our second and my like birth prep this time is going to be trying to switch off my midwife head because I just didn't anticipate that being a thing. All my colleagues had said, you know, when you're in it yourself, you're just, you know, dealing with the contractions, you're just a mum, you're not thinking like a midwife. So I didn't, I thought well, that would just be me. But I asked Oh my God, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, I have to ask, oh, this could get real juicy, Pip. Did you <laughs> find in your first pregnancy with your midwife, like, was there ever any sort of like, wait, I'm questioning what you're doing or I'm questioning like a... I don't know. No, I think you should do it this way. No, no, no. I think it should be done this way. Yeah. So in my in my pregnancy, my pregnancy was really straightforward. So it was really quite easy. Um, that was fine. I was referred for a growth scan because I was measuring small, and I was a bit like, I know, I know my baby's not small. I was marathon training. I had great abdominal muscles before that pregnancy. This time, not so much. Um, but but I knew that actually yeah, this wasn't a small baby, it was fine. And he wasn't small, he was almost eight pounds. So I'm pleased I didn't accept any medical intervention for my not small baby. Um, and but so yeah, my pregnancy was all fine. And then my my birth, I was just really bossy. I was just very polite, I didn't shout, didn't swear, very calm, but I was like, I need to break my water now, I'm fully dilated now. I want you to examine me and see how low he's coming. And I push now. I was just a bit, just a bit like this is this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to work. Um, Did you give birth and they were like, oh wait, the child is there now, everyone. <laughs> scoop the child up. We tried to keep it really quiet. So I um I was on the the birth center and no one else was there that day. So all my colleagues were all on labor wards or the postnatal wards. So no one really knew I was there, which was really nice. We can't, and then I just snuck out afterwards just so, so no one really saw me. Because what I didn't want was all, I know I, lo I love my colleagues dearly, but until our friend, like close friends and family had met the baby, I didn't just want everyone just because it happened to be at work that day to come and sort of pounce on us a little bit. So we tried to keep it really a little bit hush and intimate, which was beautiful. We absolutely loved our birth. And then motherhood. The midwife brain went well and truly out the window, Ashley. Oh my goodness, what a roller coaster that is. <laughs> then I was very much just a new mum, 
trying to survive. The I think the emotions and the hormones at that stage really hit me. So although, you know, looking, you know, taking a step back, our postnatal journey was really unremarkable um, and, and straightforward. But when, when you're in that and it's your baby, my goodness, that's a completely different thing than when I'm caring for someone else's baby and, and giving, you know, medical advice. When it was my own baby and I was that attached to them, the midwife had definitely left me drastically in the postnatal period. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I have to ask, where does your passion for women's health come from? Mm, I think for me, I'm very much a midwife for women. Um, so, you know, babies are lovely and I love my own, but I'm not really that fussed about babies in the grand scheme of things. For me, it's empowering women. And I think pregnancy and birth are such precious times. We might only ever do it once in our life. And we don't forget. We don't forget the way we were made to feel when we brought our little people into the world. So for me, the, the ethos, the passion, the, the drive every day to do the work I do is to make sure that women have a really positive and empowered experience, no matter kind of what that actually might look like for them. But I just think it's such a valuable and important time that we, we kind of underestimate. And often mums will come and work with me on their second pregnancy because they've recognized that actually the first time they were let down they were let down by you know systems services what was available to them and actually they recognize that they deserve better um, and women really do because it makes such a massive difference if, if women have a really empowering informed supportive pregnancy and birth that makes a drastic difference to what that challenging fourth trimester looks like than actually if, you know, I'm working with one of those women that say to me after their birth, oh, I failed or I'm disappointed or these awful, awful phrases that should never be associated with bringing another life into the world because it's an absolute miracle. Um, women are just incredible warriors. So for me, it's really that empowerment of women and making sure that birth is, is a positive thing, regardless of what those twists and turns and bumps in the road might look like. Well, as you are looking into the journey of baby number two, for you, what are you hoping to change, improve, or what are you wanting to really focus on for the second time around? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think for me, it primarily is going to be the postnatal period because I adored my birth. So if I can just have the same again, that would be wonderful. Very happy with that. Are you using the same midwife, aka yes. you? <laughs> we'll also have a great friend of ours there. Okay, good. Um, so that that I would love, be blessed to have a very similar experience. But for me personally, it's going to be that lack of comparison. Because I think mm. when you're in it, especially as a first time mum, regardless of who you are, what you know, as I said, it all went out the window. I was just the same as everybody else, rummaging my way through at 2am thinking what we're doing. It's really going to be that comparison. The amount of time I spent comparing my son to other people's, whose children were all on a completely normal but different trajectory, was insane. And that was a thief of so much joy for us in that postnatal period. So for me, it's going to be just taking off that pressure of comparison and knowing that, you know, they're doing it in their perfect time, in their perfect way. And, and that's great. Because um, I do think as new mums, especially, there's almost there's almost too much information available in one aspect. 
But then Agreed. another aspect, there's not enough. It's, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? It's almost like there's too much information that's all opinionated, but well, not yeah, Right, and then like once you're in the thick of it, it's almost like the bottom drops out and then you're just kind of left in the dust. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So I think being able to go into it with just that bit more confidence, actually, we can keep a small human alive, me and my husband, um, so we can do it again and we'll be really nice this time. Hmm. Well, what do you find as the most common misconception or fears that you encounter as a midwife working with expecting parents? How do you address those misconceptions? How are you coaching so that they're in a healthy mindset going into delivery? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's so multifactorial in today's world, but I think one of the the biggest barriers or biggest things that I would just love to change if I had a magic wand would be this idea that a birth, in order to be positive, has to be almost like this spa-like experience. You know, you should be able to birth without any pain relief, without any medical intervention. You must avoid induction of labour to have a positive birth. Otherwise, if you, you know, accept medical intervention, all your birth preferences go out the window and you hand them all over because... It's just not the case, but so many women that I meet prepare for that one type of birth, that birth with they're in the pool, there's nude lighting, there's no intervention, everything's going beautifully and smoothly. And then as soon as there is a hiccup or something that needs to change, they I feel completely out of control and disempowered because they hadn't thought about that. No one had educated them about what that might look like and how they could still have a positive birth and make informed choices in that scenario. So for me, it's really about getting parents to think about all the birth options. If you did need an induction of labour, it may not be first on your preference list. It isn't for many. But actually, how can that be positive? How can you make informed choices around that? If you need forceps, I've not I'm yet to meet someone that's put forceps at the top of their birth preference list. But I've also met thousands of women that have prepared for the outcome of forceps and then had a really positive birth. So How do you about- prepare for that? I'm going to chime on in and ask because it's been brought up a lot just with messages and other podcasts, mm-hmm. um, guests that I had on. And then people would be like, I, I need more. I need more just yeah. to understand and to feel comf- as comfortable as possible. That, that, this is not my birth story at all. Mine was very easy. But for someone who perhaps is now dealt those cards. Yeah, absolutely. I think, first of all, it's knowing exactly what four steps are and exactly why they might be recommended. Because if you're suddenly in the throes of labor, you've been trying to push your baby out vaginally and someone says, right, we need four steps, and you've never heard of those before, that's absolutely terrifying. So for those labour and birth hormones, we've completely scared them all away, which is really unhelpful. So actually understanding what they are, why they're used, how they're used, and then being able to make an informed decision about actually, do you feel that's something you want to happen? Because for some women, actually, they may decide that they want to carry on as they were for a bit longer. And it's really individual on what's going on for that mum or that baby. For other women, they may make a decision that actually a cesarean section is more appropriate. It's about making that informed, empowered decision. And then if you do opt to have forceps, all of those things that you had imagined, that spa experience, that mood lighting, that nice music, can still happen, even if you move into a theatre setting. And often women feel like if they're taken out of their 
birth centre environment or their home environment and they're taken into a more medical setting, that all of that goes. And it's not the case. Theatres can be beautiful birth settings. But unless we know what to ask for and we can have that communication around that, then it doesn't happen. And that's where mums then end up with things like postnatal depression or birth trauma for mums and partners, just because there were there was this lack of information and preparation around in real life birth. We know that around, I think the current stats in the UK are that around one in one in five or one in eight, I think it might be one in eight, women give birth with the assistance of forceps or one two. So if we're not preparing for that, that's one in eight people that we've automatically disempowered. That's massive numbers and I don't feel okay with that. Do you bring this up now with your um, with the expecting parents that you work with, or do you feel like that the system is speaking up more about that this this could potentially happen? So this is the education I'm going to give you, or is this now another just another little item on the list that perhaps is being dropped by the wayside of the of, in the medical sector? Yeah, I think with a lot of birth prep practitioners, there's a real fear about scaring people yeah. and I'm very much it's about preparing people not scaring people if we don't give that information then we're actually just failing people because if that happens to them your birth prep course was somewhat useless because you haven't prepared them for their birth journey so I'm very open and honest with women that I work with in the antenatal period and prepare for birth in that these are all the options tell me what you're scared about let's hash out what you're scared about and find ways around coping with that. Because some things aren't going to be your first choice, and that's fine. We want to think, how can we minimise the chance of that? But if it does happen, how can we make the best of that and make sure that you still feel you have a positive experience at the end of the day? So it's about, I think, just being really open and honest and transparent and not trying to protect women too much. I mean, we deserve to know the truth and the facts and, and be talked to as, as honest adults that can make our own decisions. What do you feel the medical system is doing to help improve those who end up going down the route of cesarean? Because I will put my hand up and say that I was handed a very thin piece of paper with information on one side and on the other. And then I had to pick up my bundle of joy and walk out and go home. And I mean, I'm educated in the fitness sector and I know the ups and downs and all arounds of it through the education and the courses that I've taken through the years and how I've trained clients. But for someone who hasn't a Scooby and they are given this very thin sheet of paper and they've just had this cesarean, what do you feel the medical system is doing now to help improve this, to help empower, to give knowledge to women who do not know how to handle their bodies after a cesarean? Yeah, that's such a lovely question. And I wish I had some really long list of answers to tell you about all these incredible things that was happening routinely in post-cesarean care. But there isn't a big list of things that are happening routinely in post-birth care at all, um, which is a massive issue. Postnatal care really does feel a bit like the Cinderella. You have all these appointments in pregnancy and then you have a baby and it's like, off you go, try and squeeze your pelvic floor sometimes. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's that's literally it. It's, it's so so minimal and I felt that right I felt that myself as a new mum and I remember saying to my husband I'm all right but thank goodness I am because if I wasn't what on earth do you do where'd you, where'd you go 
there's no one around. And um, the postnatal checks that mums used to have with GPs are now pushed into the same appointment as their baby's vaccines and their baby's checks. So mum's getting nothing, like just nothing. And it's and it's not good enough. It's absolutely not good enough. Um, and it's actually the reason that last year I trained as a mummy MAT practitioner and, and now working as a specialist pelvic health midwife within the NHS because we need to do better. Like we are failing women postnatally. No wonder postnatal mental health is in the place it is because women are suddenly in a body that they don't understand. They don't know how to help. Um, and they're doing all that while they're sleep deprived and not able to nourish themselves as they would have otherwise. And we, we forget, don't we, that a cesarean section is major abdominal surgery. And especially for those mums who've had unplanned cesareans, they may have been awake for three days, contracting, laboring before they even had that major surgical procedure. And if we had a major surgery to our knee or our, you know, our leg or our shoulder, we'd expect to rest up and have this physio follow up and have people looking after us. And postnatal couldn't look any more different than looking after yourself. It's survival, isn't it? You're literally uh, in survival mode. And it's something that I think we really, really underestimate. So I wish there was more being done, Ashley, and my goodness, there needs to be. But we're a million miles off where we should be and what women deserve in terms of their postnatal care, I think. Yeah, I, I have to share. I was I found myself at 10 months postpartum angry. Like really angry at my body and not knowing like how. So I ended up with really massive jaw pain to then find out that I had a cracked pelvis. Um, my, my daughter was was on the larger, like she was just shy of 10 pounds. And I had an elective cesarean and I had no follow up care or anything like that. And so when I was about 10 months postpartum, I just found myself angry. I'm like, why has it, why haven't I even seen the doctor that delivered my daughter? Like, why have I never seen her since that day? And I look at it and I'm like, wow, I, I need to not be angry because I have the knowledge, but how are other women dealing with this and how I, it, it's no wonder they say what is like another nine months that your hormones plummet again before you then rebuild your body to like mm-hmm. best self as they say on Instagram, but it's maddening that we were not given those tools, even pre, like even like in, in the lead up to birth of like, what, what can we do to strengthen our minds mentally going into this? Mm. And what are the realistic expectations, right? Like so many women that look at themselves in the mirror after they've had a baby and they're like, but I still look like I'm pregnant. And it, we, we just, but if you don't expect that and you all see all these images of women looking like they should be in the catwalk because they're given, a, just after they've given birth and you look at your tummy and you're like, I've got stretch marks and my boobs are leaking and everything hurts and I still look pregnant. That's, that puts a massive dampener on how you feel about yourself um, in such a vulnerable time, right? So I think realistic expectations is so important. And yeah, we we need better support. And I think you just said you had a daughter, and I I really hope that for her generation we see improvements in postnatal care because I think the the expectations on new mums in society in today's generation is really different than what it was two generations ago. And 
our societal norms have shifted drastically. If I think about my my grandmother's generation, for example, everyone lived around the corner from each other. No one moved, you know, to another country from their family or miles away from home. And so when you had a baby, everyone rallied round, you know. Great. Exactly. Your job was to rest and feed your baby, and that was it. And that's how it should be. But now we're expected to be back at work, you know, really soon, to be looking great in coffee shops, to have this hideous bounce back culture that is just so unhelpful and damaging. Don't yeah. you find though, with that bounce back culture too, it's not even just about the whole body image. It really is about how much can you do as a new mom? Mm. It's, like, it's almost like it's almost neck and neck of like, you have to look really, really good, but you also have to be like literally superwoman and baking cookies, doing a school run, you know, doing all of the meetings, you're back to work and, you know, you're finding a cure for the next, I don't know, big thing. Yeah. Isn't it just insane? Why is birthing a new human life not enough? I think that's plenty. <laughs> but I feel like though we now live in it, which is part of like, I, I wouldn't say that like, cause I, I, I'm very open with, I'm not like a new year's person. I'm not like, I have set these intentions for 2024, but I will say that I will, since having my daughter and going through some own, my own personal stuff, I will always check in with myself and to make sure that I feel that I am enough. Because I, one thing I found in that postpartum cycle of it was like, I was not enough. I wasn't doing enough because it was like that constant like neck and neck of I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. And I'm not doing enough work. Mm. It wasn't about being a good mom. It was all of those other societal things. I was being a damn good mom. I was there for her hook, line and sinker morning, noon and night. But it was all the other stuff. And like, if there is anything of 2024 and 2025, and I mentally am in like 2028, I think at this point, I'm like, I am just going to keep on telling myself every day, Ashley, you are enough. Mm. And that is a great place to be. And that should be fulfilling. And that's also a really powerful message to send to our children. And all we want to do as mothers, our primary thing is to set them up for the happiest, healthiest life. And we want them to love themselves. You know, when my son looks in the mirror and he shakes his big belly around and he thinks that's just the best thing in the world. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want you to always see when you look in the mirror. Let's celebrate your beautiful belly that's full of all of that food that you've enjoyed today. That's amazing. And, and I think that starts with us because they, that we are such a heavy influence on their brains at such a young age that if we can't love ourselves, the reality is they're going to really struggle to love themselves as they grow. And that's a sad future. Massively. Well, Pip, as we are venturing into this glorious new year, what is in the pipeline for you? We've got baby on, on the way. What are you ex most excited about in this new year? as a growing family, um, also with your growing business, can you share anything? So uh, there's so many things I'm excited for in 2024, some which I can reveal, some which are still under lock. So keep your eyes peeled, more coming this way. But I guess the primary thing for me is watching my son become a big brother and um, slightly terrified, but lots of, lots of my mum friends with multiple children have warned me that it's going to be utter magic so 
yeah, really looking forward to seeing how he embraces that role and just feeling more and more proud of him um, as we bring another little human into the house. Oh, and I have to ask then, have you have you been given any words of wisdom as an expecting mom of now two? So has there been anything passed along to you to prepare yourself for this now expanding family? Do you know what? So many people have said to me, because I keep saying, you know, I'm just really worried about how I'm going to, you know, do everything that I do for our son Finley. He's only two. So how am I going to, you know, meet all his needs and be there for him all the time and be there for this baby? And everyone's like, well, you won't because you physically can't and to be okay with that. So I'm starting to accept that actually he's going to learn to share me and that's going to, some days that's going to go well and some days that's going to be an absolute car crash. But there are so many pros of him becoming a sibling that we're going to find that balance. And I'm going to try not to get completely riddled in mum guilt. Oh, you're going to be amazing. Well, we all can't wait to watch. Thank you for your time, your words of wisdom. Pip Davies, thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yes! Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.